Good morning, church. Thank you so much again for being part of our online worship assembly this morning. I want to tell you, as I do every single week, that I love you and I appreciate you and remind you that we really are brighter together than we are apart. Whether we're together online or we're together out in the parking lot or soon we will be together, Lord willing, back here in the auditorium. We truly are brighter together. We make a bigger impact in the world when we are united and when we're moving in the same direction. That's why I'm excited to remind you about tonight at 5.30. You can go to nightintheword.org, nightintheword.org, and myself and three other ministers from Collin County will be sitting down together to study, to read aloud the book of Philippians. I'm excited about that. We're going to be reading the book of Philippians aloud and talking about it together as brothers in Christ and encouraging all of us to put Jesus first and to rejoice in the Lord. So I hope that you'll join us tonight, 5.30 p.m., nightintheword.org, and you can not only watch live, but you can also participate by submitting your questions and your comments. We are wrapping up our series, You'll Be Glad You Did, today, uh, but I want to start by telling you a story. I was when a long time ago, I worked at Famous Footwear. I sold shoes, mostly tennis shoes and whatever people needed in Northwest Kansas. They would come in and I would do my best to figure out uh, the shoes that they wanted. But my biggest frustration working at Famous Footwear was the fact that when it was closing time, I mean, usually when there was about 30 seconds left on the clock, maybe not even that long, maybe it had already passed when we were supposed to close. It inevitably happened almost every day. Someone would come to the door right at closing time. And of course, I had to let them in. And of course, I could never kick them out once they were in the store. It didn't matter how long they stayed in the store. They could stay as long as they wanted to. I couldn't kick them out. And I couldn't begin closing everything down and cleaning everything up and getting ready for the end of the day until they were gone. So I needed to wait on them and help them in any way that I could. And of course, every time I would ask them as they came in the store, I'd say, you know, good evening. Is there anything I can help you find, and you know what they, they said probably, don't you? They said, no thanks, I'm just looking. And I thought, no, you, you can't just be looking, you can't just be browsing. And sure enough, that's all they were doing. They would wander the store for 15 or 20 minutes, and then they would leave without buying anything. They really were just browsing. And in my mind, of course, I would never tell them this, but in my mind, I kept thinking, it's too late for that. You can come in at the beginning of the day, and you can browse all you want to, but at the end of the day, it, it's beyond time. It's past time. That sort of thing doesn't make sense at this time. And there's a lot of things in life like that, aren't there? There's a lot of things that they make sense in the early hours, but they don't make so much sense later on. It, for instance, when I was five years old, it made sense that I was scared of monsters in my closet. It probably wouldn't make so much sense now for me to be scared of monsters in my closet. It, it makes a whole lot more sense to be asleep at 12 a.m., 12 midnight, it makes a whole lot less sense to be asleep at 12 noon, p.m., for most of us, right? It makes, it makes a lot of sense that somebody just going into college is pretty undecided about what they want to do with the rest of their life. It makes less sense as you get to the last few months of college if you don't know what it is that you want to do. So some things make sense early on, and you think, yeah, of course, you're young, or this is early, or it makes sense that I used to do those things. That's what this series is all about. It's about looking in our rearview mirror and recognizing that our past is one thing. 
but our future is supposed to be something else. Even our present is supposed to be something else, but also recognizing that our present will soon be our past. And we have to make decisions right now that we will be glad we made later on, that we can look back on and say, man, I am so glad that I made that choice. I am so glad that I took that path. But right now, as we look at our past and we think back to the things that we have done and we reflect on choices that we've made, surely we can see things in our past and we say, yes, at that time, knowing what I knew then, knowing how little I knew then, knowing how early it was in my life or in my walk with the Lord, yeah, that was my behavior then. But now, I can't live now like I used to live then, that my future has to be different than my past. I have to be making different decisions now than I made in the past because I am a different person now. It's too late to live that way. It's too late to be that person. It's too late to keep going in the same direction that I was going in before. So many of the passages that we've looked at over the last few weeks have been an encouragement for Christians to look back at the past and now think about the present and about the future and make decisions now that you'll be glad you made later. I wasn't planning on saying this necessarily, but just last night I had a conversation with my youngest son about one of the routines we have every night before we go to bed. Every night before we go to bed, we say the Shema. We say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then we add to that what Jesus says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we say this every single night before bed. And I told my sons, I said, the reason we do this is not just about right now. It's about 30 years from now. It's about 30 years from now. I want you to be able to look back at these moments. I want you to be able to look back at your childhood and say, we did this every night. This is who we were. And dad was preparing us for the future. We're making decisions right now that we will look back on in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. If Lord willing, we live that long, we will look back at these decisions, at these days, at these choices, at these paths that we are taking right now. We will look back at this and what will we think? Will we be glad we made the choices that we made? Will we be glad we made the decisions that we made? Will we be happy that we did this? Or will we look back with regret the way we're looking back right now at some of the choices we've already made with regret? I think that today's text will help us make better decisions. First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Peter writes to persecuted Christians that are beginning to experience some of the rejection and humiliation that comes along with being a follower of Jesus. And he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. I love the way he says, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. You are in a battle. 
Church, do you recognize that? You're not just cruising down any old road of life. You are cruising through a minefield. You are behind enemy lines. You are in a battle. And the audience to whom Peter is writing, they recognize that they were in a battle and they were probably asking questions to Peter. Why is this happening to us? And Peter says, you have to arm yourselves. The same way Paul would say that you have to put on the spiritual armor. And think about what he says about arming yourselves. Arm yourselves with what? An AK-47? No. A sword and shield? No. Arm yourselves with this way of thinking. Your mentality, the way you think, your perspective is your armor. And he says, arm yourself with this way of thinking, this mentality. What is it? That those who have suffered in the flesh, those who are being persecuted, have ceased to sin. We're done with it. We're done with it. Now, why would, why would persecution be an indication that you've ceased from sin? Why? Because it's a choice. Persecution is a choice. It was always a choice. It has always been a choice because all you had to do to not be persecuted was just not follow Jesus. All you had to do to not, not be persecuted, to not suffer in the flesh, is to just deny Jesus. And if you deny Jesus and you go back to living the way you used to live and doing what you used to do, then you can avoid the persecution. But the fact that you said, I'm not taking the easy way out. I'm going to follow Jesus whatever the cost. I'm going to follow Jesus whether it hurts or not, whether I suffer or not, whether it's painful or not, I will follow Jesus. And the fact that you're saying that and you're enduring this means you're committed. You're in. You're done with that other lifestyle. You have stopped sinning. You've said it's too late for sin. It's too late for that behavior. I'm done with all that stuff. I'm on Jesus' side. And the fact that you're suffering associates you with Jesus. Jesus also suffered in the flesh. And the fact that you're suffering with him proves that you're done with that lifestyle. And so he says, arm yourselves with this mentality. Arm yourselves with this way of thinking. And whether or not you or I suffer the same kind of persecution, because we don't, none of us suffer the way that the first century Christians suffered. But even if we did, and even if we don't, we still have to arm ourselves with this way of thinking. Arm yourself with this mentality. I am done with that lifestyle. I'm not going to live that way anymore. That, that way of living for human passions. I'm done. From now on, on the road ahead, in the future, going forward, I will live for the will of God. That's the way you fight this battle. That's the way you cruise down this road. That's the way you navigate this minefield is you decide I am done living the way I used to live. Now, course, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Peter, by saying that you've ceased from sin, isn't saying that you're, you're going to be perfect from now on and you'll never make a mistake. He's just saying you're done with that lifestyle. 
And the fact that you're willing to suffer with Jesus proves that you're done with that lifestyle. So here's your armor. Change your perspective about suffering. Change your perspective about persecution. Persecution doesn't mean God's turned his back on you. It means I'm on the Lord's side. And this is evidence of that. Look at verse 3. He says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. It's, it's too late to live like that. The time that is past suffices for doing that. It might have made sense if you didn't know what you know now. It might have made sense if you hadn't seen what you've seen now. It might have made sense if you didn't believe what you believe now. It might have made sense if what has happened in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, if that hadn't happened, then it would make sense to just do whatever you feel like doing. You feel like being angry, be angry. You feel like being greedy, be greedy. You feel like being hungry, eat whatever you want. You feel like sleeping with somebody, sleep with whoever you want. You feel like drinking this, drink that. Do this, do that. Whatever you feel like doing, that might have made sense under different circumstances. But no more. That doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't make sense for someone who's seen what we've seen and heard what we've heard and believed what we've believed and know what we know. It doesn't make sense to live like that anymore. We can all look in the rearview mirror and say, yeah, there were things I did back then, but I didn't know then what I know now. I didn't understand then what I understand now. I didn't see then what I see now. And I can't drive now. I can't go forward now doing what I was doing back then. That wouldn't make sense anymore. It doesn't make sense at the end of the day to just be browsing. And it doesn't make sense for someone who sees Jesus for who he is to live as the world lives, to live, as Peter says, as the Gentiles want to do. That doesn't make sense for us. It's too late for that kind of behavior. It's too, it's too late for being greedy. It's too late for being self-indulgent. It's, it's too late for being all of these things. It's too late for that. You've seen too much. You know too much. Look at verse 4. He says, with respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And you've experienced this, haven't you? Many of you have experienced this. You've experienced your, your family or your friends that are shocked. Shocked. Not, not in a happy shock kind of way, but a negative shock kind of way. You won't do that. You used to do that. You used to come out and drink with me. You used to do this with me. You used to, do you think you're too good now? All of a sudden, you're holier than I am now. All of a sudden, you're better than me now. They're absolutely shocked. And they malign you. They talk bad about you. Because you've left that. But, but you've changed. You're a different person than you used to be. You've seen something that you didn't used to see. You, you know something that you didn't used to know. Your priorities have changed. Haven't they? 
Your priorities aren't what they used to be. You used to chase after pleasure. You used to chase after treasure. You used to chase after power. You used to chase after everything they chase after, but your priorities have shifted and changed and you're a different person and it shocks them. But maybe some of us haven't experienced this. And maybe, maybe we ought to step back and think, you know what, if your lifestyle doesn't shock somebody in the world, maybe you're not completely committed to Jesus. Because it should be shocking. For the first century Christians, it was completely shocking to everyone around them. Why would you give up what you had before? Why would you give up this money? Why would you give up this position? Why would you give up this power? Why would you give up this pleasure? Why would you go and associate with a bunch of nobody Christians? Instead of your family, instead of your friends, instead of coming down to the temple with us and and engaging in this worship to the gods, why are you living this way? Why have you given it all up? It was shocking to them. But our world hasn't changed that much. That truly being radically committed to Jesus isn't shocking anymore because it is. And it should be. And it should shock the world. Verse 6. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached. What, What purpose is that? That Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. So for this purpose... It's been preached even to those who are dead. And I don't think he means it was preached to people that were dead when it was preached to them. That it's been preached to the people that are now dead. That though they are judged in the flesh, though they they died as men, as everyone does, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. I love the way the New American Standard puts that part. He says, and don't you know that that there would have been all kinds of questions about Christians who had died. Christians that said, I'm not going to worship the gods anymore. I now worship Jesus. I'm not going to go with you down to the idol temple anymore. I'm not going to drink this. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do the things I used to do. And then a year or two went by and they died. And don't you know people laughed? Ha! What good did it do them? They said they were going to follow Jesus and And they gave up all of this and then they died just like everybody else does. What good did it do them? And and Peter's saying, because Jesus is going to raise them from the dead. Jesus is going to vindicate them. That's why the gospel was preached to them. Even though they've died in the flesh, the spirit is going to bring them back to life. The spirit is going to raise them from the dead according to the will of God. And they're going to live And the people who laughed and the people who maligned them, then they'll know that Jesus Christ is king. And these people that have died, they gave up who they used to be. And they made a decision. And even though they suffered for it, and even though they eventually died, they still followed Jesus. And it was still worth it. Verse 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. Do we realize that? That ever since the resurrection of Jesus, everything has been different. We are living in the end times. Ever since the resurrection of Jesus, these have been the last days. People ask questions like that all the time. Do you think these are the last days? Yes, 
And these have been the last days. Ever since Jesus was raised from the dead, the resurrection has begun. The reign of the Messiah has begun. Yes, these are the last days. The end of all things is at hand. All of this, all of this idolatry, all of this chasing after pleasure and treasure and power, it's all, it's all coming to an end. These kingdoms are fading away. These lifestyles are all going away. They're all decaying. It's all coming to an end. And Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. And if that's true, how should you live? We should live every day as if this is the day that Jesus comes back. In fact, I loved, I read in a commentary this week that Martin Luther was asked that one time, what would you do if you knew that today was the day Jesus comes back? And he said, I would pay my taxes and plant a tree. I like that. In other words, I would do exactly what I already planned on doing. I would do what I plan to do today. How about you? If you knew for sure that today was the day Jesus comes back, what would you do? Hopefully you'd say exactly what I planned on doing. Because that's the way I live every day. The end of all things is at hand. So do what? Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. We should live every day. This could be it. We're living in anxious anticipation of the return of Jesus. And we have been ever since he ascended to his throne. This is going to happen. And we are going to live in light of that fact. Verse 8. Above all, this is what it looks like to live in anticipation of the return of Christ. Be self-controlled, be sober-minded, and above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Not that by loving you, I've covered up my own sins or atoned for my own sins. I don't think that's what Peter means. He means that by loving you, I'm covering over or overlooking your sins. We're overlooking each other's faults. We're overlooking each other's shortcomings. We're loving each other. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is what's forever and ever. All this other stuff, all this stuff that people are chasing, all this stuff that people think are important, it's all passing away. The end of all things is at hand, but the glory and dominion of Jesus Christ is forever and ever. Amen. This is what lasts forever. The Lord is coming back. And if he should come back today, let him find us loving each other. If the Lord should come back today, let him find us loving each other. If the Lord should come back today, let him find us practicing hospitality. If the Lord should come back today, let him find us overlooking one another's sins. If the Lord should come back today, let him find us serving one another. If the Lord should come back today, let him find us being self-controlled 
and sober-minded. Today's a historic day. Did you know that? Today's a historic day. Why? Because today is the closest that we've ever been to the return of Jesus. Today is. Did you know that? That's what today is. Today is the closest day that we've ever been to Jesus' return. And you say, yeah, I've heard you say that before, Wes. Yep. And I might say it again. Because every new day that we have, it's a historic day. It's closer now than it's ever been. In the history of the world, no human being has ever been closer to the return of Jesus than you and I are right now. The end of all things is at hand. So this is how we live. We are closer now than we've ever been to the return of Jesus. And every day that comes, every day that gets, every time the sun rises, we're one day closer to all of this nonsense being done. All of this greed, all of this hurt, all of this pain, all of this sin, all of this not caring about each other, all of this criticizing each other, all of this yelling, all of this screaming, all of this killing, all of these wars, all of this crime, all of this, all of this. It's all passing away. And every single time the sun comes up, we're one day closer to all of these things passing away. And the glory and dominion of Jesus Christ will be forever and ever. So if that's true, every moment that passes, the way of Jesus should make more sense, right? Every moment that passes, the way of Jesus makes more sense. Every moment that passes, every minute, every second, every day, every hour, every single moment of time that passes, the way of Jesus just makes more and more sense. And by contrast, the way of the world makes less and less sense. Every moment that passes, we should look back and say, wow, I can't believe I ever talked like that. I can't believe I ever lived like that. I can't believe I ever chased those things. Thank God I'm forgiven. Thank God for his grace and his mercy. And that those things in the past are forgiven and they're gone. But I certainly can't live like that anymore. It's too late to live like that. The road's running out. This journey's almost over. Jesus is coming back. And all of these things that people think are so pleasurable, so important, and they chase after and they idolize, it's all passing away. And every moment, the way of Jesus just makes more sense. And the way of the world makes less and less sense. Arm yourself with this thought. I am done with that lifestyle. I am done with the lifestyle of sin because sin makes no sense for anyone who's anticipating the return of Jesus. For all of us who are anticipating Jesus' second coming, every moment that passes, the way of Jesus makes more and more sense. Church, I know we're not in this room yet. We will be soon but we have today, we have this moment. And if you aren't ready for the return of Jesus, 
If, if where you are right now looks too very much like where you've been and you want to change that and you need prayers or encouragement or if you're not a Christian and you're ready to be baptized into Jesus, please, please, please don't let another hour go by that you don't reach out to me, one of the other ministers, one of the shepherds here or someone and do whatever you need to do to make the changes that you need to make because the end of all things is at hand. And the glory and dominion of Jesus Christ is forever and ever. And every moment that passes, the way of Jesus makes more and more sense. So if we can help each other to walk in that way, then let us know how we can help you. Thanks for being with us this morning.